Hey friends, welcome back to the Radical Radiance podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca George, and I am so happy to be with you today. We have such a special conversation to share with you. If you are a part of the launch team for Do The Thing, Gospel-Centered Goals, Gumption, and Grace for the Go-Getter Girl, then you already know this episode is coming. I asked you for questions a couple of months ago as it pertains to the writing process and uh, just our relationship throughout this whole process process of seeing this book come to life. And you guys turned in some of the most amazing questions. And so I invited my husband, Dustin, to come back on the show. You may remember him from some past episodes. And we talked through all of those questions that you had. And I think it's such a special conversation. And it felt like the exact right thing to share the week before the release of Do The Thing. And so on that note, we have just a few more days for you to join the launch team for Do The Thing and get in on all of the pre-order gifts and bonuses that we have available to you. As you know, we have a 30-day devotional called Your Gifts, His Glory, the audiobook version of that devotional narrated by myself, a How Well Do You Know Your Calling quiz, and a goal planning guide ready for you so that as you walk through the material of the book, you can take those practical next steps and map that out in a real practical way. So I hope all of those pre-order gifts are an encouragement to you. All you have to do to access them is go to do the thing book org and scroll down to the bottom of the page pre-order the book on your favorite online retailer fill out that form and it will trigger an email to you with all of those resources and if you join the launch team in the next few days we also can give you access to the manuscript a little bit early so you can begin reading before you get your paper copy and what that will allow you to do is go ahead and write your early review to share on the online retailer website where you purchased the book and so I'd love love for you to support the launch of this book in that way if you'd be willing and I'm just so excited to share this conversation with you so help me welcome my husband Dustin back to the show well this is a little different setup <laughs> than we than you normally have yeah because you are in the other chair I'm in the other chair and I am in the chair Yes. Which is different. Um, in a good way, I have this board in front of me. Looks very complicated and <laughs> very involved. But uh, as you have probably heard already, uh, I am Rebecca's husband, Dustin. And we wanted to sit down and take questions from members of the launch team for her book and just give Rebecca an opportunity to answer those questions. And so I'm going to be uh, in the role of interviewer today. And babe, you're going to be interviewee. Yeah. Right? It's weird to be in the other seat on your own podcast. Are you nervous? I love it. No, because it's you. Okay. I'm excited. All right. These are great questions, by the way. Everybody these, who turned them in. These are great questions. And so what I'm going to do is I go through these I'm going to name the people who, the first names of those who submitted these questions and who wondered about these questions. And then um, you're just going to have an opportunity to answer them. All right. Yeah, I love Sound it. So good. And you do know what these questions are. It's not like I'm throwing a curveball. Yes, at but you. I, we haven't overly prepared for this, which I didn't want to do. No. I just kind of wanted to talk on the fly. So this is great. This is completely unscripted. Yes. And, and possible 
possibly prone to heavy editing. <laughs> so whatever you hear uh, may be edited. Actually, what I just said may be edited out anyway. But anyway, all right, here we go. Question number one. Vivian and Deborah both would like to know, how did God inspire you to write this book? Yeah, I love that question. Well, about 10 years ago now, which is crazy to say, my mom went through a cancer journey that, praise the Lord, we're almost 10 years on the other side of. And you know all of this, but for listeners who don't, right after that season, God led me to start a ministry for about five or six years where we donated hand crocheted and knitted hats and letters of encouragement into cancer treatment centers all over the country. We did work with St. Jude and MD Anderson and some great organizations, and it was a really special season. And in that season, God opened doors for me to begin speaking and sharing with women what he was doing through the ministry. And as I did that, and I know you'll relate to this just after you get done preaching and you have these conversations maybe after church and Sometimes those are the special moments where God will will work and you hear how God spoke to to someone. And I was having some of those conversations with women where they would come to me and say, I love what God did through your mom's story and how he laid this ministry opportunity on your heart. And I feel like I have my own version of that. I feel my heart stirred to do something. I feel uh, like something that God's given me, a gift or a skill or a talent, um, and there's a way I feel compelled to use that for his glory. And then almost every time they would hush to a whisper or I would sense kind of fear in, in their expression and something would be holding them back. Maybe it was insecurity or feeling like somebody else out there is already doing it better than they could, or maybe they were fearful. And I had my own moments of that in being faithful in starting that ministry. And so I I know what that felt like. And so I'd have these conversations and I'd walk away thinking like, man, if I ever wrote a book, the first book I think I would want to write would be the book that I needed in those moments in my own life and in those conversations where maybe I didn't have enough time to dive deep into uh, some of those topics, but I'd love to do that in book form. And so I think that's where it started for me. And that's one of those <clears throat> that's one of those things that you hear people talk about that, you know, write about what you know, mm. write about where you are, mm -hmm. write about how God moved you through that. So, yeah. All right. Great. Uh, number two from Ashley. Did you feel qualified to write the book or was it something that you did in spite of your feelings? Mm. It's kind of related to the first question or, your, yeah. or at least to your answer to the first question. Yeah, I think it was both at times, right? I think as a first-time author, I say this a lot to my friends who aspire to write and just how loosely you have to hold the whole publishing process. I might have been an expert on my own story and how God worked through it, but I was not an expert in writing. <laughs> and so I think anytime you, you step into something new for the first time, um, there certainly are moments where you're not going to feel qualified for that, and and that's a step of faith, trusting in God type of type of thing. So there were absolutely those moments, but I think 
the more I talked about the message of the book that I felt compelled to write and the more of those conversations I had, God used that to sort of, I don't know, give me encouragement in those moments, knowing that this message was needed, right, that women that women need this. And so uh, yes and no, I think, is the answer to that mm. question. <laughs> All right. Noncommittal. I get it. No, I'm kidding. Um, Doris and Emily both submitted very similar questions. And uh, the basic um, gist of it is this. Uh, what is living out the message in your book been like for you personally? And also, how do you make sure you are living out the message of the book mm. in the midst of the chaos of writing and editing and publishing and marketing and everything that goes mm. along with with getting a book out in people's hands? Yeah, I think because this message is so tied to how do we see our work from a gospel-centered place and and that, I mean, that is, that's the crux of the message. And so I could go topically through each chat, which I won't bore us with the details of this, but I could probably go topically through every chapter and give you an example of a time where I was met with the opportunity to live this out in the last couple of years. A couple that come to mind though, one would be, uh, and this chapter is really special because it, it wasn't originally in the proposal. There's a chapter about quitting things. And the ministry that I mentioned earlier at the top of the episode, um, there came a season where God asked me to lay that down and made it pretty clear that I was to focus on, you know, our marriage and this new season of ministry that God had us in in South Mississippi and focusing on writing and speaking more. And uh, I the reason I wrote that chapter is because I had, I had lived it out and I saw those moments where we all have to maybe lay something down or God shifts us into a new season and, and what does that look like and how do we trust him in that? So, so that would be one example. There's also a chapter about striving. And I mean, you and I both, we had a conversation this morning about the challenges of, you know, there's, there's never not something I could be doing to, to move this forward or, to continue to try to get this in the hands of the women that need it. And, and the question becomes, what's a healthy pace to run at? And I know I'm thinking about that a lot, and, and we've talked about that a lot. Uh, you know, I, w- I want to be faithful, and I, I hope I'm doing this work for a long time. And, and that's going to require really praying for discernment and wisdom and what that looks like. Right. And so, and that's a big piece of the message of the book. And so those are just a couple that come to mind that I've really had to live out. Sure. And, and related to that, because you've, you've sort of mentioned, you don't have these questions in front of you. I'm just looking at them myself. It sort of segues into Emily's next question. And it's, uh, she's asking, what is the most helpful thing Dustin did to support you in book writing? Mm. And then also, what's the most helpful thing that you did to communicate with him while you were in the craziest season of writing? Mm. I think the most helpful thing that you did and, and continue to do for me is give me full freedom to do what God's called me to do. Um, you know, we have had the conversation of, you know, we, we got married a little later in life. We're both very independent people. And so there's challenges of coming together 
in a marriage of two independent people and we're we're a perfect example of that. And also, I think it is a special part of our relationship to know that we both get to champion one another and what God's called us to do. And you did that really well and continue to do that really well. And, and some days that meant, you know, allowing me space to say, you know, I wrote for an hour. Let me share with you, you know, my progress or, or some days it meant, you know, I'm discouraged and I just need some encouragement. And so you, you did that beautifully. And second part of the question, remind me. The most helpful thing that I did to communicate, I'm sorry, uh, the most helpful thing you did to communicate with me while you were in that craziest season of writing. Mm. As I reflect on that, I think, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I really tried, I'm thinking back to the season of writing, I really tried to fit book writing and I'll, I'll, we talked about sharing this, so I'll let you chime in when I finish. I tried to fit book writing into the nooks and crannies of our existing life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can remember times where on my lunch break, I'd sit and think, okay, I've got 30 minutes. Let me see if I can carve out 500 words, <laughs> right? And so that so that I wasn't up writing in the evenings it, during our you know time together, I would try to fit it in during the workday and or you know, on Sunday morning before our day got crazy or, or things like that. So, I mean, I'll let you speak to that if you, if you feel like that, if that's consistent, but that's in terms of the actual doing of the work, I feel like that's how I tried to compartmentalize it. Does yeah. that make sense? Well, and, and I think that as someone who writes as well. Yeah. I think that there is a there's a way that people write most effectively mm-hmm. usually and yours is very much a and I'm not saying right wrong. Yeah. Everyone has their own their own sure. style of doing these things and their own system. I would say you are a bit by bit. Mm, yeah. Moment by moment, you you put it together, you you contemplate um it's like every word, every sentence, you you really weigh it, you you take your time with that. I'm not saying you're a slow writer. I'm yeah. saying you write in small sections and get each section really right. And mm-hmm. then you move to the next section and you knock out the 500 words that require very little revision. You, you just, and you, and you do that and it's very, it's very systematic, but it's also, um, steady forward progress. Mm. And so I can't think of, because we were, we were in Mississippi when you were writing and then we've moved back to East Tennessee mm-hmm. and uh, I've, I have not seen a, what I would refer to as a, a crazy season of writing. Um, whereas, whereas from, for me, when I write, it's, I lock myself in the room for an mm. entire day and I, 
you know, I, I may come out to get something to eat, but I, mm. but I may write for four or five hours straight nonstop put yeah. put music on put my airpods in and and just and just i don't i just go yeah and then and come out with ten thousand words ten thousand yeah. <laughs> words right and so so i think that i think there's a difference in in approach because yeah that's to, so true to your point you were you were on say on sunday mornings we would Get when we were in South Mississippi, you would get to the church. We would get there early, yeah, and we would be there normally before anybody else. And we had uh, about an hour and a half or so before Sunday school began, yeah, or something. So we would get there at eight, and uh, I can't tell you the number of days that I would just I would make coffee there in the in the office, and you would sit there on the couch at the coffee table, and you would just bang away at the at the laptop mm -hmm. cranking out cranking out content mm -hmm. and so it was very it was very much the nooks and the crannies and so um the communication in the craziest time I, I don't I don't remember a craziest time yeah it was just very I don't either systematic the way you approach that yeah so I agree okay great we're on the same page That's <laughs> a great thing all right one more question. Um, one more. Qu well, actually, a couple more questions about this sort of thing. Emily asks, "How do you disconnect from the, in her words, the heavy book headspace, and make space for life for the two of you, the both and of life and ministry that's so intertwined, and when do they overlap in life-giving ways?" Mm. That's Emily Kurt, by the way. You probably figured that. I did figure that. Yeah. And I could tell <laughs> I could tell from the question having having sat with her and talked uh before, I thought, yes. That's an Emily Kurt question. That is an Emily Kurt question. Yeah. And in a good way. In yeah. a very good way, but it is very thoughtful and very well constructed and um not just a yes no. Um, yes. Answer on that one. So yes. Yes, I like that one. Do you need me to remind you? Or you no, no. Okay. I get the general. I get the general question. So I think I would come back with that quote of, or at least this is my intent: the wherever you are, be all there, kind of thing. I or I tried to have that perspective of if I am head down in my laptop writing, I'm head down in my laptop writing, getting that sprint of 500 words or whatever out. And as much as it depended on me, or I tried to do the opposite when I was not head down in my laptop, right? So whether it was you sharing about, you know, something going on at the church or us spending time together or doing something fun. Um, I'm, I'm sure I did that imperfectly, <laughs> but I would try to be where I was. I, I think mm. that's, that's at least what I would say to myself in being my goal in that season and moving forward because it is a challenge. I mean, I think it's a challenge as a pastor as well, right? Like, sure from your perspective as well, I think we both uh, are so passionate about what God has given us to do that it is 
uh, at times life-giving and they intertwine, as Emily said. But I think there has to be some intent there to pull away and pull out of that or we won't ever. <laughs> Do you agree? Or yeah. how would you? Yes. And, yeah. and, and I think that, I think that goes back to something we talked about uh, a few weeks ago. And that was the biggest challenge. Well, let me back up. One of the biggest challenges that I have faced in ministry is you know, how do you how do you personalize the work? Remember this discussion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do we personalize the work without finding our identity in it? Mm-hmm, because yeah. our identity is found in Christ. But if I am over identifying with the work, and I am finding my identity in that, that means when the work is done, my identity goes with it. So if I can personalize the work and it becomes personal to me and it becomes something that matters to me and it's something, and that's a Jim Elliott quote that you were, that you were referencing earlier, wherever you are, be all there. Not to be confused with the Buckaroo Banzai quote, wherever you go, there you are. But (laughs) um, anyway, that's a weird reference. But that idea of you are being all there, but yet you're identifying with the work without allowing it to identify you. Ooh, that's it. I haven't, I've never used that quote, but I'm, I'm, well, it's yours now. It's mine now. So, but that idea of being able to personalize it and pour yourself into it. Yet when the work is done, you are not done with it. Yeah. You, You continue on to whatever is the next thing, whatever God has for you next. But your identity is found only in Christ. And so mm-hmm. I think that that's what I'm hearing from you. And, and I think that's that that's how you navigate that. Mm-hmm. Because yes, to your point, yes, I I am a I I am a person who pastors. I'm a pastor, but I am first and foremost a child of God. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. I'm a kingdom citizen. That defines me. Yeah. So if tomorrow, for whatever reason, be it some physical inability or God calling me to some other, you know, some vocation, other call, assignment. some other vocation, assignment, right, then then I would not stop being yeah. who I am. I would just be exactly who I am, but God would call me to be all there. Mm-hmm. But that's not who I am. Mm. So many times I hear people say, um, well, this is, you know, and I like the phrase life-giving because so many times people say, well, this is my life. Well, no, it's not. Your your life is hidden in Christ, mm. right? And the life you now live, you know, it's it's not you living this life. It's that Christ is in you living this life. Yeah. Galatians 2.20. So he is now living in you. So therefore he is the one who, he is the one who determines and defines your identity, Mm. not what you do. I mean, and I think, I think it's true across the board. You end up with people who can't do what they once did. And instead of just 
having to revamp and realign themselves with the will of God. They lament the fact that they feel as though they have lost their very identity. Mm. And that just means, you know, I, I, I always, I always, I have this, I have this idea that whenever you have an insecurity, that means it is always based upon a misplaced security. Yeah. And I think the same is true with identity. I think if, I, I believe if your identity is wrapped up in Jesus and you understand that and know that and live by that, then come what may, or, or if something does not come that mm-hmm. you expect to, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter because your identity is solid, it's unchanging, because it is founded upon that, mm. which is solid and unchanging. Not just what is solid and unchanging, but, but who, who is yeah. solid and unchanging, yeah. that he does not change. And so your your identity is completely wrapped up in him. That was a rabbit. Trail. I liked it. I liked it. Um, so good. This is you. Those of you who are listening, you are getting. Um, these are the discussions. <laughs> these are the these are the driving in the car discussions. These are yes. the sitting on the couch discussions. It's not always this way. Sometimes it's much more silly, but um, but these are the discussions that, that we do have. All right. Uh, a, a question from Heather that is in the same vein as well. Mm-hmm. How do you balance working, writing a book, podcasting, and moving? It seems like a big challenge <laughs> for a young marriage. Yeah, doesn't it, though? Heather Duvall, by the way. Heather Shout Duvall. Shout out to Hoover Duvall. Heather Duvall. Man, well, I'll first say the book was written when we moved. So in all fairness, I didn't do all of those things at the same time. So I think that's important to say. And so how do you work and write a book at the same time? I think we've said this in a sense, but just to reiterate, I fit it into the nooks and crannies of my life. I think, like you said earlier, Dustin, everybody has a different process for writing. And because of the nature of the season that I was in when I wrote this particular book, I didn't have much of another choice, right? Mm. If I was going to write this book, it was going to be in the nooks and crannies of my life because I had a a full-time job, have a full-time job, close to a full-time job. I moved to a, a different job once we moved to Tennessee, but, um, I, it was in those kind of extra moments that I had. And the, and the great thing about that is I had nine months to mm. fit that in. Right? right. And that was really important to me when I signed my contract and we talked about the timing of when the book would be due, how long we would have to prepare to market the book. I took timing into consideration for that. I have friends who can crank out a book in three to four months that don't have a full-time job, <laughs> right? And so they have more capacity than I do. Right. So I think I tried or their, to... F- or their full-time job is is right. Yeah, yeah. That exa- is their job. Exactly. That's right. That's right. That's a better way to say it. And so uh, that was this book and how I made it happen, you know, just based off kind of the capacity that I had. And and I would add, um, just from a personal observation. There were, there was a a friend of mine, you remember David, 
in um, Mississippi. Oh, yeah, yeah. And David was asking me one time about you. When we were dating, right? When we were dating. And he was asking what she's like. And, and so I started telling him about all the things that, you know, your nonprofit and your job and what you're interested in and the things that you're doing and then the marathoning and all sorts of other stuff. And he just stood and he looked at me and he said, how does one human accomplish all of that in the time that all of us have been given? And I said, I'm really not sure. I think maybe she's either extraordinarily organized or she has a secret twin <laughs> that is operating behind the scenes. And and after we've been married, I or since we've been married, I've seen you are and, and I'm I'm going to brag on you and I've told you this that you, you are probably the most organized person I've ever met. And um you you manage to get as much out of every minute as you possibly can and and still do everything that you need to do just in in general in life right i mean just the just the general things that we all have to do you know in adulting mm -hmm. you you manage to do all of those things and then all these things all exponentially more and um and i've had people even now after we've been married say ask me the question how does how does she accomplish everything that she accomplishes in the time that she has to accomplish and then still has time to hang out with you and you still go places and you still do things together and you still and i said i she's just she makes the most out of every minute and and you do and i don't mean uh, I, I've had some friends in the past who would say, I make the most out of every minute. And that means that they're, they're, you know, perennially late to everything. Uh, and they're making the most out of every minute means being late, but you're, you're not even that you're just, you're just very, very organized, very structured. And, um, you are relentless when it comes to doing the things that, uh, that you want to do in a good way, in a good way. I don't mean relentless in a bad way. I mean, in the most positive way possible. All right. That's sweet of you to say. Well, that's my two cents on that. Candace asks, "What has been the most? What has been the most surprising about this journey together, and how has it grown your faith together as well as individually?" Mm. Wow. I will answer this, and then I'd love to hear your answer. I think it was a really special journey watching how God led specifically to David C. Cook. That's just coming to mind as you read that question. Okay. I remember going down the path of beginning to work on my proposal and signing with my agent. And when we started talking to publishing houses and you and I were praying, I mean, I think we both knew where we hoped I would land and, and that I'll let you share why that was so close to, to your heart and to my heart. And, um, it's just been really special and it's just really built my faith to see how God's timing was so intricately involved in this and his provision was so, so clear and he made the path so abundantly clear. I mean, you can probably remember the day and I, I won't share specifics here, but 
I had a few different calls with different publishing companies along the way as God was kind of opening door and uh, door after door. You know, we had a couple of conversations, and I remember getting off one of those particular calls, and I remember looking at you and saying, I just feel so anxious. Do you remember this? Um, vaguely. Yeah, and I remember thinking, I'm just going to go on a walk at the church, and I'm just going to go pray, and I just, I, I, but that particular call, I don't feel like that particular publisher is supposed to be my partner for this. And again, I'm not going to share specifics, but it was was that week Mm -hmm. that I remember us sitting down and saying, in faith, like, I don't have a contract yet, but I really sense this is where I'm supposed to be. And it's just been really special to watch God give that clarity and pave that way. And I, I think that piece of it was was really special this time around. So that comes to mind for me. I'm curious what comes to mind for you. Well, you've already mentioned David C. Cook, so I will let me let me address that first of all before I answer the rest of that question. The reason that, at least for me, that David C. Cook Publishers held a, a special place in my heart was because whenever I was a child, our church used David C. Cook Sunday School material. Yeah, and I can I can remember that their their slogan used to be something like the Sunday School People or something yeah. like that. <laughs> it was great, and so I remember as a kid the first the first Sunday School curriculum that that I had as a little kid were these, um, they were these little full color bifold Sunday school lessons. Mm-hmm. And it had a, it had a Bible story. It had artistic depictions and then you would open it up and there were questions or there was an activity or something like that. And that was what we were given every Sunday, a little eight and a half by 11 bifold four pages worth. And I remember riding home one day from church looking at my Sunday school lesson and reading David C. Cook down at the bottom. And then I remember seeing David C. Cook on my parents' Sunday school books. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this David C. Cook really writes a lot. (laughs) This, This guy... And I didn't understand it was a publisher. I yeah. just thought there's this one guy who named David, like, named David, in which there is a David C. Cook, right? Um, back in the day, and that he's that that started this. But at the same time, I was I was thinking, wow, this guy is he has a really really wide range. He's writing for kids. He's writing for adults. This guy's this guy's something. But it was so formative for mm. me in my childhood. I still remember some of those images from those lessons Mm. and that was so incredibly formative and so whenever you had said hey um david c cook i'm thinking oh wow yeah Mm. david c cook that's who that's who because this is there's just a near and dear place in my heart because i i know the heart of i know the heart of this group their material discipled you at yes. a very young age. At a yeah. very young age, yeah. right? So uh, I would say the most surprising thing about this journey together would be, hmm, I would say it has been watching 
this process from a ringside seat without being in the middle of the ring, mm. so to speak, just watching the editing process, watching the marketing process, watching all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Mm. And then I, re I remember when we were, we were on vacation <laughs> last year in Florida, the first family vacation, that true family vacation with multiple family members that I have been on since I was six. And, um, and it was much more enjoyable now that we're all adults. But uh, we went to a bookstore. Remember? Mm, yeah, we went to I do. A, we went to a bookstore in Destin. And I remember walking around that bookstore, and I remember looking at the books. And not to say that everybody's story is the same, but I, I was thinking, I'm never going to look at mm. a book on a shelf lightly again. Not to say that every book on every shelf is a good book. Yeah. By, by no means. But regardless, you know what it takes to make it happen. But regardless, there there is a, a huge amount. It's the whole iceberg theory, you know. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Everything that's underwater versus what you see. And all the work and all the effort and all the tears and the sweat and the rewrites and the yeah. first draft and the second draft and all the other drafts after that that led to that moment. And, and even if it's on the shelf, it doesn't, you know, it may be within short order relegated to the bargain bin of history, right? Yeah. I mean, there's no guarantee even if it ever, even after it gets on the shelf. And so I, I don't know. I think for me, the surprising, the most surprising part was all the pieces, parts behind the scenes that I was unaware of. Mm. And, and I would have no reason to know those things. Uh, how it's grown my faith, as an individually speaking, I would say watching God's timing yeah. for me, seeing the timing of everything mm -hmm. that at, at exactly the right moment, mm -hmm. something, the next step would happen. Yeah. And just the timing of it. I mean, even, even the timing of our move with the book, yeah, with absolutely everything from all of those things together, um, just really helped to grow my faith just to watch God's hand in this. And how many times we would sit and we would pray and we would look at something and we would shrug and we would say, I don't know. I mean, God has to be has to be the one to do this. And yeah. then God would. Yeah. It may not be overnight, it may not be in a couple of weeks, but at the right time God would move and we would say thank you God and then we yeah. would be faced with the next thing and then it would we would go through the whole procedure again. Mm -hmm. Okay, God, we we trust you. We've trusted you beforehand. We've trusted you in the past. We've seen your hand in the last few weeks mm -hmm. through this process. And we're, we're asking that you do what is next mm -hmm. and, and give the wisdom and understanding and discernment to know 
that is you when it happens. So we will know when to take the step. And then he would. Yeah. He would again and again and again. And so that was, that was encouraging to me. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Uh, Candace also asked, what has been your favorite season of this book from beginning to present? And what has been your least favorite part of writing this book and why? Mm. I think a couple of my favorite moments, one would be something that I don't hear often from a lot of my fellow writing friends. I actually really enjoyed the editing process. Mm. It grew me a lot. It challenged me. I learned so much from my editor, my editors. And I think taking something that existed and making it better felt more life-giving, to use my word, <laughs> than staring at a Microsoft Word document that needed 60,000 words. Mm. It felt more fun to me to revise something and make it better than it did to create the first pass of something. Mm. And maybe I'm weird in that way, but I, I really enjoyed that part of it. I also have really been enjoying having conversations with specifically other podcast hosts about the book. I think this message really lends itself to encouraging people like like that who do what I do. And it's been fun to finally get to share about it and, and see what resonates and encourages other people and, and get to have some camaraderie in, in the message of this book. So I think that's been a lot of fun. I think the one of the most challenging pieces in the same vein was, you know, with this being my first book, it was, it felt like a huge feat to write 60,000 words. Mm. And so I would say the challenging piece was, I mean, I, I hate to oversimplify it, but, but writing the book, <laughs> right. And, and just chipping away at it day after day after day, like you said, and we've already talked about kind of my, my style of, of that and chipping away little by little. But I think the first time you write a book, you've, you've never done that before. It's like the first time you run a marathon, you, your body doesn't know what 26.2 miles feels like. You don't know what it feels like to write a whole book. And so I think that was maybe the challenge, just not having had that experience before. Okay. And I can see that. Uh, I can see, and I can also see that editing would be would be your favorite part. I don't mean that in a negative way. You just that's that's something that you you really enjoy. Uh, Jessica asks, "How did you get all your thoughts organized on paper before writing a book?" Mm, I love this question. Well, a part of this process, specifically for traditional publishing that I think is important to share is before the idea goes to a publishing house, most times you will work with a literary agent who will help you lay out the bones, the framework of what the book hopefully will be one day. And that's what gets presented to the different publishing houses that they pitch. And so there's something that you write called a book proposal that essentially is kind of like a business plan for the book. It's 
the layout of the synopsis, the chapter themes, what you'll write about, how it'll be organized, how would you market it, and all of those things. So you kind of have to lay that out up front for a nonfiction book, which can be a challenge because your agent will have thoughts on the vision of that and how to best pitch it. And then your publishing house might have thoughts on, you know, their, their own vision for it. So you kind of have to come together and find a partner that you feel is, is right for that project, which I'm so thankful that I, you know, got opened those doors. But by the time I sat down with a blank word document, there was a year of work that went into what this book would be one day, if that makes sense. Sure. So that's kind of how it was organized up front. And you also had a dry erase board. Yeah. That had, and I realized that was after the fact. Yeah. But yet you had an outline yep. of the book in front of you, or at least next to you. Yes. All the time. Yep. And it was, and I remember, I remember walking into your, your home office and there would be the dry erase board <laughs> and you would have whatever number of words that you had written. <laughs> I forgot I did that. Whatever number of words you had written thus far <laughs> for each section. For each chapter. Yeah. Right. I and forgot so, I did that. Right. And so it was, it was a running it was a running tally that I'm sure gave you great encouragement because yes. you were actually seeing it's like it's like taking measurements and, and taking weight uh, or, or measuring your weight and um, and then measuring or at least recording, you know, what kind of weight you were lifting when you were doing weightlifting or yeah. something like that. And you can see the progress where the reps and the weight load start to increase and so you were seeing that that progress, but that was one way you had you yeah. had that on the board, and then you were working through that as well. All right, last question, and then I have one question. Okay, this is the second to the last question, the penultimate question. What are you praying and hoping that people who read the book will learn and come away with at the end? Of all the pages. Mm, I love that. I think similar to what I said earlier in the why of why I wrote the book, you know, there's there's nothing new under the sun. A lot of people have written books about our calling and our purpose. And I really hoped to come away and I feel like I have with a book that shared a little bit of, of my struggle in that and, and what God has shown me in his word to encourage me in those hard moments of my calling. And, and I hope that in moments where women come to an impasse or a moment where they're experiencing, you know, God prompting them to start something new or to lay something down, like we talked about earlier with the quitting chapter, where they're stuck in striving or comparison. A lot of the things that we talk about throughout the book, I hope they know where to turn. Because I, I don't know that, you know, we're ever going to reach a point because we're, we're imperfect people following Jesus where we, we won't have those moments where we might feel that sting of comparison or we might feel a little bit of fear to take that next step of faith. But when I do experience that, am I sitting in that? Am I 
seeing that from a worldly perspective or am I pointing myself back to God's word and what it says about that particular struggle that I'm experiencing. Mm. And I think that's my hope is that women can more easily recognize when those moments happen and they know where to turn. Great. Yeah. So. Great. Okay. Final question. Hit me. Hit me with your best shot. This is not on the list. Okay. Final question. I'm nervous. Don't be nervous. Not really. Here it is. So I am going to ask you what about Jesus makes you radiant? Mm. Okay. A couple things come to mind that I think specifically in this season of our lives have been an encouragement to me. I think specifically about God's character. The first one, especially in the wake of the last couple of years, is the fact that God doesn't change his immutability and the fact that we can we can stand in that and know to be true all the other qualities about God that we we know to be true his his omniscience his sovereignty his like all these other awesome qualities about him we can also trust that they're not going to change in the midst of a life that does so that just feels so freeing to like stand in that and know that mm-hmm. i also think especially back to several things that we talked about earlier, knowing that he is infinite and limitless in all of his ways and remembering my rightful place in that, that I am very finite and have very real limits as a woman who would be the first to say that I struggle with performance and achievement. When I point myself back to remembering my rightful place and God's rightful place in that, um, helps me live with more intention and, and set aside more time to rest and be able to fully lean into what he's called me to do in a way that isn't based off performance but is rooted, again, like we talked about earlier, in my identity in him. Mm. And so I think those those are the two things today that I think I would say make me radiant. Great. And I can see that. So, do you, I'm gonna I'm going to pull another card from the Rebecca, the Rebecca George deck Uh-oh. here. Okay. No, not another question. All right. So, by the time listeners are listening to this episode, where where are we in the process? Whenever they, the, whenever this goes, whenever this releases, this because we are, we are time travelers. <laughs> we are. And so we are looking forward to this this being released. Yes. Yes. So when this episode comes out, we are the week before the launch week, date. The week before launch. So next Tuesday, do the thing, gospel-centered goals, gumption, and grace for the go-getter girl will be in our hands. All right. So with that in mind, if someone is listening to this, knowing that it is merely days away 
How can they get a copy of this book? Love it. You can go online to your favorite online retailer, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Christian Book, direct through my publisher, David C. Cook. You can pre-order there, and you still have a week to get in on all of the pre-order bonuses. So we are giving away a 30-day devotional called Your Gifts, His Glory, the audiobook version of that devotional narrated by myself, a quiz called How Well Do You Know Your Calling?, and a goal planning guide that can help you take practical next steps as you walk through the material in the book and you feel direction in that next step of faith God might be asking you to take. You can kind of lay that out in the goal planning guide. So you can access all of those things for free by pre-ordering the book and then going to do the thing book.org. You scroll down to the bottom of the page, you fill out the form, and then it will trigger an email to you with all of those free gifts. Perfect. And that is Do the Thing, Gospel-Centered Goals, Gumption, and Grace for the Go-Getter Girl. And you are the most go-getter girl that I know. So you go and you get exactly what (laughs) God has called you to go and do. And so thanks for letting me sit in the big chair Mm. today and uh, and be a part of, of not only just letting uh letting you answer these questions but also I'm, I'm just proud to be on this journey with you babe well i agree i could not have done this without you without your leadership and your encouragement and um it's been a special couple of years and so it feels really fun to finally get to hold it in our hands and celebrate all god has done and so i couldn't i i couldn't think of a better way to have this conversation or a better more fitting conversation than to have it with you and so i'm so so so, i'm so so thankful wow i am too thanks i hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did and again next tuesday this time next week we will be holding do the thing gospel-centered goals gumption and grace for the go-getter girl in our hands. I cannot wait. And we will be back for a really special conversation with all sorts of people who are a part of this process. My agent, my acquisitions editor at my publisher, so many special people that uh, God just led to be a part of this specific project. And we share all about the behind the scenes, a little bit of how the sausage is made, if you will. And it's such a special conversation. I can't wait to share it with you next Tuesday as we celebrate the launch of Do the Thing, Gospel-Centered Goals, Gumption, and Grace for the Go-Getter Girl. I'll see you then.